Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift in Wanderers of Melisanda from the Accidental Aliens. And I'm Keith Foster. I write the comic Kadoja, in addition to reviewing horror books and horror comics on my blog, Probing the Depths. Hell yeah, you do. I do. I, I review I review the shit out of horror. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> so I'm hard. Perfect that, I am I'm poop. perfectly sober right now, too. I'm not even kidding. Perfectly. <laughs> bubbly so bubbly hard, poop falls out of it. Bubbly lime is is what I'm rocking right now. I am out of beer. Um, one of my buddies was in town, and he usually crashes with me when he's in town. And uh, so all of our IPAs and and even shock tops are gone. So I'm rocking White Claws today. Ooh, Mango White Claws. Yeah, yeah. We were just talking about that yeah. last week off off uh, off microphone. Yeah, yeah. yeah I sometimes actually... I want to be a little bitch and drink a, a White Claw. <laughs> Exactly. So I, I will tell you. I'm just, that, I'm just kidding to the audience out there. I actually enjoy White Claws. They're uh, actually five percent, which is stronger than a standard beer. So, so I'm cool with drinking White Claws. I like them. There's no fucking way this makes that the podcast. Just incidentally, <laughs> no way. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. All right, man. So what have you been up to? I've been up to a bunch of things. And um, so let me talk about one thing that would almost never normally make a make a podcast. But but I think it's it's important in a weird way because this is, is a podcast about making comics on an independent level. And it's the logistics and it's the grind, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm mm-hmm. going to talk a little bit about my 215 Inc. capacity because while I have a couple functions there, you know, to, to help Mike out, to help things roll along. One of the things that I take a, a little bit more of an active role in is a lot of the logistics stuff, contacting the printer, you know, figuring out the copies, getting quotes, determining the, you know, the the quantity that we want to print, you know, based on the orders from Diamond, based on what the creators want, based on all that stuff. And uh, so we just got our order a couple of weeks ago, I think, for uh, Gory Books, number one, which I don't think I've talked to you about, but uh, no. Mike and his brother, um, Will Perkins, they they collaborated on uh, a book. It, it, so it's basically a throwback to those old storybooks. I think they were called storybooks, weren't they? Think of the ones with like the red binding on the left side, the red spine. And then they're mm-hmm. like a, a thick cardboard stock and they're small and they're square. And then you would read like nursery rhymes or things like that, right? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're doing a riff on that, and they're doing it for gory books. And I think the first one, at least, is a public domain property. It's Night of the Living Dead. So they are doing the equivalent of a rhyming children's storybook, but for Night of the Living Dead, which is, uh, I, I just think that's a great idea, you know? No, that's an awesome idea. Yeah, yeah. That is a so, freaking awesome idea. I love it. Yeah, and they're doing it in conjunction with a website called Broke Horror Fan, where um, where you can, I believe Broke Horror Fan's thing is that you can get a copy of Night of the Living Dead on on like VHS, because Broke Horror Fan's thing is a lot of VHS reissues. 
And you can also get, uh, you know, one of the three covers of Gory Books number one, which I think is really cool. Anyway, it's this is one of the rare print jobs where it's been kind of fun to get into some of the nitty gritty behind printing because you're choosing an interesting card stock. You're going for things like foil stamping and stuff like that. Maybe I just yeah. geek out about that, you know, but. Um, oh, no, I love that stuff, too. We um, we do that for the Accidental Alien anthologies. We've had kind of gimmick covers for um, all three of them. And um, I love it. I love getting the paper samples in and just kind of showing them to the crew and kind of getting everyone's uh, input and seeing what works for everyone. And sometimes you just got to take the the helm, you know, you got to take control and go, okay, like, I think we're going to go with this and this seems to be the best. And then, you know, you kind of get the general consensus and everybody's cool with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So anyway, that's there. There's not much more to that, you know. We we I sent off, I think, the final request uh, today, and it'll get printed up. It'll get shipped directly to Diamond. Some other copies will go in other places, and then it'll be in comic shops. It'll be in people's hands by the end of the month, which is just cool, you know. And so, so a lot of that is my background. My day job involves a lot of logistics stuff, so it you know it's it's something that I'm comfortable with. And uh, but the 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 note for people again, most people who listen to this and make indie comics are going, yeah, yeah, Keith, I'm, I've been rolling my eyes for 15 minutes. But, uh, but you know, the, the devil is in the details, man. When it, when it comes to this kind of stuff, I mean, making an indie comic and, and getting it out there is ambitious because you're handling everything beginning to end. You're not just thinking of it and creating it. You're also the supply chain for it. And supply chains can, can really snag people in a lot of places. And so while it's not the most interesting thing to talk about, it's something that deserves a little bit of airtime just for what a role it plays in any independent creator's life. You know what I mean? No, I think it's a, a perfect topic to talk about. Um, people that will be listening to this might be people looking to make comics, so they don't know any of this stuff. So people like you and you and I who've been doing it for a while, we, we know kind of the ins and outs of that style of stuff, that type of stuff. But people just starting might not know it at all. So it's it's useful information for sure. Yeah, and I'll say this too, that when it comes to soliciting books through Diamond, the, the list of things that you need to do correctly multiplies by a factor of about three, right? But if, if you're just putting out a book yourself and you're selling it, then that's one component of it. But, you know, Diamond has a very specific set of rules on what to do and how to do them, where to ship the books, what things to put on your packing slips, what things to put on your invoice, a lot of these, you know, nitty gritty type things that can snag people if they're not paying attention. So yeah, man, it, it takes some time to get down. But and even once you have it, you're like, wow, this is just a, a 35 point checklist that I have to kind of go through for this book. But again, that's that's what you sign up for when you make indie comics, right? Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I've never done it. I'm I've just been publishing my own books, getting them printed, working conventions, like just publicizing it online, social media and stuff like that. That's kind of the extent of how I run my my comic business. I, I do need to get on the diamond train, however. Um, but it's it's a, a matter of like doing reorders as well. So like the second shift, I don't even have any copies of number one left. So mm -hmm. I just but I just sell the trade like everyone wants the trade. So it doesn't matter because number one's in there. But for like single issues, I have two through um, nine right now. And and so one's missing. So I would have to do reprints of it. And then, you know, you want to do the updates and stuff like that. You got to do, OK, I saw this error the first time around. And, you know, you want to do all those things. Um, so it's, it's such a process. We can stay in this place and talk about Diamond for a second, which is uh, I, I wish I could remember his last name. I'll try to look it up and put it in the show notes at least there was a guy Dustin his, his, Diamond 
<laughs> yeah, that's also it. Known you, as you, got it. you got it. Yes. Yeah, you got it. You got that's... it. Justin Diamond owns Diamond. That's funny the way it works, right? Yeah. Uh, the, I, mean, um, I get it. There was a guy at San Diego Comic-Con that led a panel a long time ago. It was before I had even thought of doing, or maybe when I was starting to think of releasing Kadoja on its own. So was, we're talking nine, ten years ago, probably. And at the time, he was writing X-Force. So I'm, I'm kind of like, it's like Pictionary with him or something. His, his first name is Sam. He worked on Marvel's X-Force for a while, and he also did a book about a... Uh, a a guy and his dog that have a very unusual relationship. Let's just go with that. His his panel was about making um, independent comics, and he got to Diamond, and he said a really interesting thing that stuck in my head, which is Diamond. You know, Diamond distributes in X thousand stores in North America, right? Four thousand, five thousand, seven thousand, whatever it is. I'm not sure, but the number of stores that do indies that that really are open to indies is manageable if you wanted to go that route and that is something that i did with kadoja back in the day i got the list he even put this the list of of shops that that he thought were friendly to him on his um on his website and so you could go to his website and just copy down all the stores start making phone calls start going from there and then see who's interested in in getting your book in their store right and then you kind of you know you're you are the distributor at that point and uh and again it's not a very big number it might be between 60 and maybe 100 stores that are genuinely open to independent comics and of course the standard caveats apply it's got to be good it's got to be high quality etc cetera, etc cetera. but you know we've talked about that before right like you you know if, if you're not making a good book then then spend your time making your book better first and then worry about selling it but uh yeah man i i just thought that was really cool and and something that opened my eyes and for again for like a year or two i did manage a lot of the orders um myself which was which was pretty interesting uh sam humphreys is his yeah. name and that book you're t- book you're talking about is uh, "Our Love Is Real." Yes, and I, I remember listening to a podcast where they were talking about it and how you know the story is very unusual, but the quality of the book is really good, and it, it got him a lot of attention. Actually, got him. I think it kind of started his career in comics. Oh, really? Wild enough. Yeah, yeah, kind of wild. Oh, that's cool. See, I didn't know that. I had always thought it was the other way around that he that he kind of made his way on X Force and on some other Marvel titles, and then kind of used this as a passion project almost. Oh yeah, no, definitely the other way around. Yeah, which is so interesting, right? It's like it would be interesting if it was that way. It's like okay, now that I've gotten my fan base from X Force, I'm gonna do a book that I really want to focus on. It's about this guy who fucks his dog. <laughs> <laughs> It's hey, my passion project. It happened. But I mean, <laughs> you know, like, look, m- marketing is about occupying a new niche in someone's brain, right? And right. That, yeah. that, was an, that was an undiscovered niche, right? That is a frontier right there that he is staking out, right? They're it's like good. the first time, it's like the first time a guy who is obsessed with feet finds out there's other people out there who are also obsessed with feet. Is this is this your passion project? Are we talking about your passion no, project? No, I'm I know I actually know a, a couple of guys that are into feet and I just I don't understand. I don't get it. Um yeah, it's it's bizarre. It's a bizarre thing, but there's way more of that, I believe, than than the other thing. Yeah. I could be wrong. Who I knows? mean <laughs> it's a shame Google doesn't have stats for that, doesn't it? <laughs> you know what? I'm just gonna go ahead and not Google it. Like I just don't need it. I got enough weird shit on my Google that I, I don't think I need that on there. <laughs> 
So here's the worst part. The worst part is Google does have stats for that. They're just not going to share them with people. So that was my first thing. That was the the business, the kind of the business side. There was something else has been kind of forming in my head to use the line from Time Bandits, right? I have a thought forming in my head. When you really think about the way the industry is changing and the way it's going to change, something, so this started with something you said that you kind of put in my head last week when we were talking again off off microphone about Kickstarters. And um, long story short, I'm thinking of of just doing Kadoja as a graphic novel for volume three and doing it as a Kickstarter. I just feel like that's mm. the smartest way to go. And and I'll I'll leave that idea there because I need to think through it a little more. But uh, mm. but just when you think about, you know, one of the, the the main reason I do single issues is shows, is to right. kind of have that Kadoja hit out there in the public for for people that, you know, you can kind of keep doing the episodic nature of the story and stuff like that. But I feel like you and I talked about this maybe four or five years ago. The world seems to be going more and more to trade paperbacks. I mean, that's that's all everybody seems to do. You know, issues are for the collectors and issues are for the comic shops and it's good. But in terms of people reading books, what really broke through was what broke it through to a lot of people is the ability to have self-contained stories and not worry about missing this issue or missing that issue. I have I don't even collect that many comic books and I'm missing issues of stuff. I have to fill gaps all the time. And these are for books that I have holds at at my local comic shop. You know what I mean? Like sometimes things happen and you don't get your issue number eight. And before you know it, you've got issue 11 and I'm ready to sit down and read six through 10. I'm like, where the hell's eight? You know, so. Yeah, it happens all the time. Um, um, One of my, I'm I'm not going to say the shop, but. Uh, yeah, I, my pull list is missing books all the time, but I, I don't collect that many titles. I know when the title, cause they, they actually send a list out of what, what's coming out that week. And so I'll look at it and see, okay, all right, this book is coming out and this book is coming out. I think I have like under 10 books on my list and half of the time my book's not even in there. And I'm like, what the heck guys? I don't have a giant list. Like I'm with you. I'm with you. But uh, but anyway, so yeah, I was just thinking about that and thinking about the future of the industry and conventions and just the ability to deliver a a a complete story arc in one shot. And not only that, but like the biggest thing is not so much what conventions look like in the future, but what conventions did not look like in the recent past. We've been I've been cranking through uh, with the artist artistic team on the third volume of Kadoja. Um, I have basically three of the four issues complete except for lettering, right? One, issue one oh, wow. is complete, two and three just need lettering, and four is is in process. Um, you know, we're, we're doing a, a common theme that we'll get with a lot of my projects. I'm working on three by my count in the comics um, area is that all of them involve midstream artistic changes, right, for one reason or another. And, um, you know, sometimes you get continuity with an artistic team and sometimes you don't. And you just got to figure out how to kind of punch through it. And uh, and so with Kadoja, we're going through a kind of midstream artistic change and we're going to have the fourth issue. But anyway, like the, the time to sell these previous issues was was backwards in 2020. And now that I have this full story arc and it's not the only project where like I'm pretty eager to get it out there. You know, there's three protectors and there's animals, two other projects I'm working on where I feel like those are very likely to see the light of day in 2021 as well. And so it just it makes the most sense to deliver these things as complete story arcs. Right. No, I agree. Um, yeah, like you said, we've talked about that in the past. And 
uh, one of my buddies, Mike, Mike Kingston from Headlocked, he doesn't even do single issues anymore. Um, he would find himself, you know, he would, it's kind of in the same boat where he would sell out of issue one like I have, but then he's stuck with issues two, three, four, five, you know, six, whatever, whatever number he's on, right? And so he was like, yeah, from here on out, I'm just going to do Kickstarters for the trade paperback. So it's just going to be the full story, like right away. And, um, you know, for him, it's, it's good because he has, he's the writer. And so he does uh, multiple short stories inside of one, one trade paperback, whereas I'm the artist and it's one story and it, it takes me how long it takes me to draw it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, um, his ability to get that trade paperback out faster is, is there for him. It's not for me. So like, like you were saying, it's for the conventions. It's like, okay, every time I do a convention, I want to have a new book and, if I'm going to wait to have a second trade paperback, I won't be able to do conventions for, for years. And if I did, it would just be selling prints and art, you know? And so it kind of goes against, you know, what I'm trying to do. I want people to read the story. And on top of that, I am a collector. I love the single issue personally. I I really enjoy them. Um, I don't think I'll ever stop doing them. I just enjoy that, that single issue feel the completion of one story in a, you know, 20 to 22 pages. Um, and, you know, or just waiting for the next part. You know, it's like, it's equivalent to people watching The Mandalorian now. It's like some people hate that it comes out once a week. But there's other people like me who go, I love it. I have to wait for the next episode. And that allows me to talk to everyone else like, oh, did you see the episode? Totally. And then you break down one episode as opposed to, okay, well, where did you leave off? So I don't spoil anything because they watched the whole thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. So, exactly. uh, well, not only that, but we're in the middle of a damn pandemic. I'll, I'll take anything to look forward to I can get, right? I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm wearing a mask. I'm staying healthy. And now I get a new episode of The Mandalorian on Fridays. Yeah, I enjoy it. And uh, I explained, it was funny. I, I had that conversation with a cashier. And I think I kind of turned her on it because she said she hated it. And I explained it to her. And she's like, you know, you're right. I do like talking about it and blah, blah, blah. So so I felt good about that. Um, and that's how I feel about the single issues. So, But uh, but for you, I think, it's a, I think it's a great idea for you. I think your situation right now is perfect to just go straight to trade. Like you said, um, the time to sell those single issues was at the beginning of this year and throughout this year. And that's, that time's over now. Yeah. So, yeah, it makes sense just to go straight to trade. And then you're not stuck with random issues, you know, yep. that you and have to try to clearance out or something. Exactly. And those are the two other things I was going to mention. In my case, for Kadoja Volume 2, I sold out of issue four. Ended up having to reprint issue four, but one, two, three, and five were okay. Then I ran out of three. Then I had to match the three to how many fours I had, which still was That's less so than the amount of one, twos, and fives I had. I mean, it, it goes back to print runs, too. There was a time where people had this weird penchant of picking up. I mean, I think, in general, people are going to pick up the one with the coolest cover. It's it's those people that show up and just want to try one, and for some reason don't, yeah. that want, don't want that one to be the first issue of the arc. It's, it's not my thing, but then again, I have bought comics on covers alone, so I get it. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, when people pick up the second shift, and like I said, I don't, you know, if they're too wary to buy a whole trade paperback, you know, it's like, okay, well, if you just want to buy one issue, if you just want to try it out, I always recommend them to issue seven. Yeah. So I, so I get it as well. Um, and like you said, print run. So seven is a standalone, a complete standalone story. And that's the one with the kaiju also. Mm. So it's like... You can read that issue, it'll start to finish, the story will be over, and you get a flavor of all the characters, you get great character development, and you get tons of action. 
And yeah. so, so I understand like selling out of particular issues. We, we see this happen in movies a lot where you, we don't hear from an actor for three years and then three of their movies come out within two, two months of each other. Right. And so right. that's going to kind of be my 2021. It's all going to come out in 2021. I'd rather have three, three things come out that are separate stories as opposed to four issues and then a trade of just one thing. But anyway, so I'm still thinking mm-hmm. through it, but, uh, but we'll see where it goes. Yeah. You might even be able to do some, some kind of, um, I don't know, special incentive for the collector on the, on the Kickstarter as well. You can go, Hey, if you're a single collector, I can print in like you can do like a kind of like a print on demand situation for the yep. Kickstarter specifically. Yeah. And like, Hey, if you collect the single issues, this is your only chance for that to happen. Yep. You know, I will, or, you know, on this specific tier, you have to pay this much, but you will get, you know, the trade and the single issues or, or however you want to do it. You know what I mean? So, but there's some fun stuff you can do definitely with that. Like I, and you are, I've you are ex- broadcasting what one of the tiers would be. It would be the single issue, you know, the, the, the collector single issue, bundle or whatever you want to call it yeah i've been experimenting with my tiers and stuff like that um things i could do that would be specific to the printer um i have a fantastic printer um that i that i do stuff through and he he works with me on all types of things like i get my books um my bookmarks trading cards uh, exclusive prints i get everything done through him and so that also helps cut down your um your waiting time and your shipping costs yeah. because he's he's taking care of everything he's printing everything and sending everything to me at once so it's like okay once the books get here i'm not waiting on joe schmo other random company to send me their stuff you know it's just like boom it all gets here at the same time it's it's pretty amazing I hear you i hear you well so so that was me that that was the kind of stuff i was uh, working on and thinking about this week uh, how about you what was what was your week like so I'm in between uh, doing stuff for the second shift issue 10 and uh, Ashcan, Drawtober Ashcan. Um, my goddaughter, did I mention this in a previous episode that I trained my goddaughter to do flats? No. Okay. Do you, do you know what flats are? No. Okay. So flats are the basic colors you would lay down for the colors for him to start doing, you know, lighting, shading, special effects and whatnot. So, so it's basically can, um, just just like Crayola, one shade, one thing, right? Is that what you're saying? Yes, okay. 100%. Yeah. The jeans are blue. The shirt is green. The hat is brown. Okay. So that's it. I'm yeah, looking so at some prints I, on my wall to try to picture that. I think I get it. Yeah, very basic. There's no shading. There's no highlights. She's just doing the flat colors. But she's 16, you know, and she's still in school. And... um uh, but I know she's, you know, going to be getting some vacation time in soon. So um, I'm trying to push her to get those pages done so she could learn how to work within a deadline. Um, so it, it's a little tough right now, but I think she'll get it eventually. And, you know, it's the easiest money she's ever going to make. The U.S. standard is is $10 a page to do flatting. and um, But you can get someone, like I usually hire someone uh, from the Philippines. I'll get it for 7 7 a page. Nice. But, you know, she's my niece, and I'm I'm trying to teach her a work ethic and a skill um, and credentials. She'll get credentials for it. She'll be able to enter comic cons and conventions yeah. as a professional. Um, and if she likes doing it and wants to make side cash, she can, you know, seek other people out and do flats for them. Yeah. Um, Is the person who yeah, does so, the flats for you in the Philippines the same person or a different person that does the zipatones or did the zipatones? Uh, that is a different guy. You are. Yeah. 
you are really contributing to the GDP of the Philippines. I'm really impressed. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. I, I like to support my peoples. Yeah, so, um, yeah, yeah. And, and it's always the same guy that I do the flatting with. Um, he's been with me for at least three issues now. And uh, he's really fast, fast professional. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I really like going to him. I, I feel kind of bad that I'm having my goddaughter do it and I'm paying her more as a beginner. But the ash, the ash can, not the ash can, the um, issue 11, it's way too easy. It's like so easy that I can do it in like 30 minutes, like per page. I could bang them out super duper fast. Yeah. But I'm trying to teach her a skill. Yeah. So, um, but in good conscience, I, conscience, I couldn't pay someone else to do it. It's like, no way, dude, this job's too easy. You know, like you're going to, I mean, that's that guy's job. So he's going to finish it in like 15 minutes, yeah. you know, and get paid full, full rate for it. So it's just like, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. It's like, I would just rather do it myself. You know, uh, as an indie creator, you're going to have to cut those corners. Um, I allowed myself a certain budget per book. And then especially since I've been kickstarting my books, it's okay that I'll absorb a little cost now because then, you know, once the Kickstarter goes, it'll, I'll just get paid back for it. So it's not a big deal. Um, so yeah, so I got her doing that. And right before we got on the call, I started doing the lettering. Um, I was like, okay, let me get ahead. My colorist has colored a few of the pages. And uh, I was like, okay, I could, I could do the lettering. In the meantime, I could letter the whole book um, while the pages are in black and white. It doesn't matter. Um but before that, I was actually tackling some commissions. So like I talked about on the previous episode, um, Drawtober occupied my whole October. And then so November was a lot of catching up. It was a lot of, um, well, half of the month was converting those pages into panels and uh, like rearranging the flow. And the rest of it was catching up on commissions that I've had pending. So I have, shoot, I, I think I have about 10 commissions pending. And I want to be able to knock all those out um, halfway through December and then get back on to second shift um, either 11 just to finish it off and uh, then start back on 10. You know, so like I said in the previous episode, That's right. I'm going out of order here. So it's a little weird. But um, yeah, so I'm, I'm doing kind of all I can just to get these out of rain, out of uh, out of order ducks in a row and kind of bang them out, you know. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. So you said something interesting I wanted to ask about. I didn't know you do your own lettering. Yeah, I just started. Um, I did Wanderers 2. I've done I've done lettering in the past, and I look back at it, and it's so bad. So that's another thing that I would go, like, I want to do um, a Kickstarter for the hardcover of Second Shift 1 through 10, and I want to go back and fix all that jacked up lettering that I have in like the first few issues. Mm. Um, and then uh, I think in issue, I think issue three or four, I turn it over uh, to one of my buddies who's a letterer. And then Tristan from the Accidental Aliens ended up taking over on eight and nine. So I was like, okay, um, I need to save some cash, you know, with lack of convention. It's like, okay, my my art and comic money isn't as fluid as it usually is. So I need to cut some corners. So I ended up uh, lettering Second Shift, or not Second Shift, uh, Wanderers Millisonda 2. And then I'm doing issue 11 of Second Shift on my own. It's just, it's too simple. It's, it's, once you get it down, you can see all of the errors that you had done before that other people do. Yeah. Um, it's, inter it's interesting because I was just reading a, a, a corporate comic and there was a little bit of, 
errors there. And like, I had never seen it before, but lately I've been doing it so I can see it. Like it's, it pops out. It's, it, uh, definitely stands out in my mind now. Yeah. I hear you. So what do you, what do you do for balloons? Like, do you make balloons or is, is there some kind of like prefab set of balloons that people can use? Cause I, I struggle I, with balloons. I, I do my own lettering, although I do plan on outsourcing it, um, soon, but, uh, same reason mm-hmm. it's, it's control. It's a lot of reasons. But uh, balloons. Yeah, you are can just do your editing on the. You can do your editing on. That's the other thing. As a writer, you could do the editing on the fly. You're like, hey, you know what? I don't like that dialogue anymore, and so you just go in and you fix it yourself. You know, you change the dialogue. Yeah, it's a blessing and, and a curse, though. There is something to be said for handing that off to a letterer because it's going to make you sharper up front, right? Otherwise. Right. You know, like, it, I mean, I, I would imagine in terms of drawing a comic, it might be like that. Like, ah, I can I can kind of take it easy on this pencil sketch. I know how I'm going to ink it. Right. But then you make mm-hmm. more work for yourself inking. I don't know if that's how it works, but it might. I don't know. But I know that in terms of writing, if you feel like ah, this is good enough for now and then I'll fix it later, that one time becomes a lot of times. Then before you know it, you're not looking forward to lettering anymore because it's not a robotic process. Right. Like there's yeah, you're tinkering. There's, yeah. There's something strangely soothing about lettering when you're you don't have anything to think about. Right. Like you can just put on some music and crank it out. Um, but when you have to rethink all the dialogue, you're like, is this work? Is this that? You know, so again, blessing and a curse. Yeah, I, I'm i constantly. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I'm constantly reading it as I'm lettering. Like I'll just read it over and over and over again. And I'm like, does this does this make sense? Does this sound good? And so I'll keep adjusting with it. So yeah, I'll just keep tinkering with it. I use, oh, so to go to your question about the balloons, I use uh, Adobe Illustrator. Do you use Illustrator? Uh, No, I don't. Okay, so um, I think a lot of letterers also use Illustrator. It's really helpful. There is an ellipsis tool, which is essentially the shape of a a word balloon. Mm -hmm. And you can adjust the width, the height, everything. And so what I'll do is I'll make a... I'll kind of like have a page that's just full of templates. So it'll just be a bunch of different size balloons that I have saved and a bunch of different tails, like different lengths, sizes, like pointing in each direction. Mm-hmm. So that way I don't have to even grab a tail and then flip it. It's just like it's ready to roll and then I just adjust the angle. I see. So so you yeah, actually, so just you master, actually spend some master cheat sheet. Yeah, you spend some downtime. It'd be the equivalent of like tuning your guitars and making sure all your guitar pedal settings are okay before you go in the studio, right? You you spend some exactly. time to create word balloons for yourself that you can just crank through. Yeah, and, and honestly, it doesn't take very long at all. I would say it takes the time of tuning one guitar, maybe, maybe two. Okay, gotcha. So it's, it's pretty fast. It's very helpful. Um, and even, even one balloon, like if you had like one size, you can with illustrator you can tweak it like you could you can make it to the size you want mm-hmm. um there's different style balloons like there's ones that are kind of perfectly oval that people dig and then there's some that people like it a little flat on the top and the bottom and then like a little bit so it's almost like a square round shape so you yeah. you can do all of that in illustrator it's, it's yeah awesome. I, I have photoshop that's where i do all my stuff and it doesn't look that different i happen to queue it up while you were talking here and there is an ellipse tool I don't know if it, it's probably not as high powered as Illustrator. It's probably a bit clumsier, but, uh, but I'm paying for Photoshop. So, yeah. So, okay. So the, there's a difference though, between Photoshop and Illustrator. Illustrator keeps your, your word bubbles and your lettering very sharp. Like they're, there's, they're crystal clear. There's something about it. That's just a little sharper than Photoshop for whatever reason. Hmm. Yeah. 
Interesting. Yeah, you could resize stuff and not lose any quality. Um, hmm. Yeah, so so I enjoy it. Uh, I'm, maybe I'll show you one time, like when you're when you're over or something like that. Uh, but yeah, besides that, um, like I said, just working on those commissions. I just finished up a pointillism mermaid commission. Um, I have a client. He loves mermaids. I do all types of mermaids for him uh, throughout the year, and this was kind of like. The biggest challenge because he wanted um, a mermaid in the rain with an umbrella and on a bench and uh, he wanted it in pointillism so that took me 12 hours but it is done man yeah i think that's i think that's been a staple of the first couple podcasts too so it's taken some time yeah man so yeah that thing is finally done um i had sent it to him i want to say two days ago and i said look we're at this price point right now if you like this, I think this is a good stopping point. But if you want me to keep going, I can keep going. I have ideas, but I'll move it up to this price point. You know, it's totally up to you, whatever you want to do. And mm -hmm. I knew he was going to say yes. And so he said, keep going. And so I kept going for uh, another couple of days. And um, we got to that next price point. So that'll pay for some Christmas presents for sure. Rock and roll, man. Yeah, man. I think all of the Christmas presents, actually. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think I'm set. Good. Good deal. Good deal. This is kind of a, a weird period where I'm finishing up projects and then this, the commissions, man, the commissions, they weigh on me. Like I feel them piling up and just eating at my soul. So I, I just got to get them done and then I'll be okay for another month or so. All right. That's it for this episode. Outros. Let's do some social media. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Keith underscore decibel for just me and Kadoja Kaiju. That's all one word for Kadoja. And I am at Scott Lost on Twitter and Instagram. S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T -T -T, and on Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. For websites, I review horror at probingthedepths.com and you can find Kadoja at 215inc.com slash Kadoja. And you can find my comics, The Second Shift, A Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day, Heroes at Night, and Wanders of Melisanda, Humans vs. Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs, at accidentalaliens.com as well as other accidental alien titles. Rock and roll, man. I'll catch you catch next time. Right, man and everybody out there keep making comics or no we need another catchphrase because that's actually someone else's catchphrase um don't keep making comics don't make comics bitches <laughs> you're <laughs> signing up for a lifetime of misery <laughs> yeah. all right everyone we'll uh, see you guys we'll, uh, we'll, we don't force it we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out